I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get all shown out, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail on a voyage to discover the who, what, why, and how they did it via in-depth discussions with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and with me today, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where are we headed today, Mel? Freddie, our trip today is uh, to a unique destination in the global theme park uh, <laughs> stage. Uh, we're going to Utah, buddy. All right. Uh, to an amazing opportunity to see the birth of a brand new little baby theme park with the design and creative minds behind Evermore Park in Pleasant Grove, Utah, Josh Shipley and Josh Dedman, otherwise known as Josh Squared. <laughs> Josh Shipley is the chief creative officer there at Evermore. Uh, he's a Disney Imagineering veteran who spent an entire career creating experiences with the company. That is until he was asked to lead the creation of something entirely new and unique with Evermore. Uh, Josh Dedman is his director of show design production. He also came from Imagineering where he uh, was just uh, fresh off of Shanghai Disneyland and creating some of the most beautiful uh, environments and attractions out there. Uh, both Joshes are uh, definitely stud muffins, uh, creatively, uh, and uh, from a design shops uh, who are passionate about creating uh, living theater where you get to actually step into and onto the stage and be part of the adventure, which is really uh, the bottom line of what Evermore is all about. Yeah, that's right. So if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to see a theme park dream become a reality, this is a story you've got to hear. Okay, folks. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. So, Mel, Evermore Park is open. Uh, I first heard about it on social media. I'm suddenly seeing all these drawings and they were sharing uh, images of costumes and some of the sets that were being built at this place. And I thought, wait, 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 what's going on? There's somebody's building a theme park in Utah. Uh, what this is, this is incredible. Look at this stuff. I mean, it was beautiful work that they were showing. And I thought this has to be somewhere that I can reach it. And it's in Utah. Pretty, well, pretty cool. How yeah, did you first hear about it? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I was in the process of trying to hire Josh Stedman for a project <laughs> for a theme park we're working on. Really? When he got uh, snaked out from under me. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm thrilled. I think it, it, was, it literally was a match made in heaven. And um, I'll, I'll try not to be too bitter as we uh, <laughs> talk about this uh, great little project that uh, he got to play, uh, play with here. Yeah. And, you know, uh, after... Uh, we recorded the episode with them. I started to think back on some of the different ways that, you know, people begin building creative and, and immersive places. I've heard a lot of, um, through these interviews and different things that we're, we've been doing, heard a lot of theme park folks talk about how they first got bit by that experience design bug. Um, and sometimes a lot of their stories revolve around starting a horror maze or something in their house, a haunted house. Uh, I mean, I know that's the story of some of the guys from Evermore. Um, so I was thinking maybe uh, you could tell me, like, 
what was your first thing that you ever built, designed, created where somebody could walk to walk into an experience? Well, uh, for us, it was, um, I actually have two brothers, um, mm-hmm. the McGowan brothers, Peter and Ed, uh, both of which work, uh, with me at Storyland. Uh, one is, uh, my design partner and the other one is our, uh, director of design. And, um, our first project was uh, my brother Pete's bedroom. It was literally uh, maybe one of the first uh, Star Wars location-based attractions, <laughs> basically. I mean, we probably purchased every uh, consumer product available uh, back in the 70s in terms of Star Wars sheets and pillows and um, <laughs> you know, the vinyl the album ones. and every figurine. And so basically what it was was essentially a shrine. You'd walk in the room. We had the music. We had the music queued up. Wow. We had you know every playset set up around the room, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know the cool thing is he's he's kept on with that tradition. He he built his uh, a son a, a Millennium Falcon cockpit uh, uh, loft bed uh, that has taken it to a yeah, whole another level. Really cool. Um, it, I've so, seen yeah. it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think for me I I know that uh, I was really fascinated by the Haunted Mansion, probably scared to death of it. Uh, and to the point where I thought I need to recreate this in my house so I can exercise some, um, fears of my own. And so in my garage, I would, uh, I would have my parents come through and I had stuffed my kid sister into the washing machine and put a sheet over her so she could pop up and out. And I, hung a uh it was a wc fields doll i suddenly remember <laughs> oh, i hung scary. a wc fields <laughs> dummy from the rafters as an effigy and uh, pulled some strings and and some uh, spiders climbed out of the laundry basket that was nice. that was how i first did it um and you know it's just so fun to sit here and listen to folks who have the same passion about creating something where people are immersed in these experiences and so uh that's what the guys from evermore uh, are about to share with us in this episode. Well, yeah, to go from that homemade haunted house to uh, creating things like the void, yeah, uh, you know, virtual reality stuff, and now to an entire park with Evermore. Uh, what a what a trajectory! Yeah, it really can't truly wait to see is. what's next. It truly is. Well, the recording of this uh, interview took place when Evermore was still less than one month old. And so we got these guys when they were in the midst of their excitement. They were still reeling from opening a brand new experience park. And as you listen to their excitement in their voices, we know you're going to feel it too. So let's get this baby going. Here's our interview with two proud new papas, Josh Shipley and Josh Stedman of Evermore Park. Well, we're super excited today to have couple of the guys uh, who led the development and the um, now from design development to opening day of An something. ongoing execution. The ongoing execution of this beautiful place called Evermore Park. We have Josh Shipley and Josh Stedman on the phone. Are, are we Josh's or are we Joshua's? Jo- we're <laughs> Joshua's to be specific, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but by birth certificate, I think we're both Joshuas, but let's just, and, and and to make it even more weird, we're both Joshua Davids. How crazy oh is that? My. With oh, S's, S's is the beginning of our last name, same initials. Yeah. Wow. Funny, we get each other's mail. Squared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, um, you know, I can't wait to help get the word out uh, on Evermore. It's not every day that an entirely new uh, evolution, if not revolution, uh, in themed entertainment comes along and, um, really, um, just a kind of, again, a new typology, new, 
Um, so I, I won't even try to attempt to describe it. I know you guys have uh, probably spent quite a, <laughs> quite a bit of effort trying to educate the world on uh, what Evermore is, but how, what, what's the elevator pitch summary of how you would describe Evermore Park? Uh, well, the elevator pitch uh, is that this is a fully immersive uh, adventure park that you are expected to come and role play and uh, be a part of this fantasy world, which is called Evermore. I mean, that's just the really, really quick one or two liner there. That's great. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when Animal Kingdom opened up and they had the, the marketing, uh, not a zoo, you know, so that yeah, it's, right. it's uh, not not a theme, not just the theme park. Not the theme uh, park. Right, so much more. Where did the, the roots of the, the seeds of the idea come from? Is that something that uh, um, you guys have been on the journey for quite a while? Yeah, or? Ken's story So his pretty interesting. His story is interesting because he's always kind of been a dreamer like the rest of us, right? Um Really, he's a showman and entertainer because he used to host these parties at his house for Halloween. Um, and he had thousands of people show up and walk through it and he'd decorate and build big set pieces and hire the right talent for effects and whatnot. Uh, a couple years back, he did uh, a pumpkin festival here in Utah that was pretty successful. Uh, saw some big crowds and big numbers and... Um, he started doing immersive storytelling in that environment. And then he worked on um, a company called DigiCert, um, digital certification, and then rolled that into The Void, which as we all know on this call, yeah. is an immersive VR walkthrough, which no one had really cracked that nut until Ken figured it out with his team, which was here in Utah, right? And then they branched out, went international. So long story short, um, it that all came into Evermore. Uh, the Void actually started and came from Evermore. And then he had to put Evermore on, on hold for a little bit. So here we are. We're oh, back at it. That's incredible. Now, both yeah, both projects are live and launched. Isn't that crazy? It's cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's very cool. And both pretty groundbreaking uh, projects in and of themselves. How, how long have each of you guys been on this particular journey? Uh, well, for me, for Shipley, um, I physically moved to Utah with my family on October 3rd of 2017. So physically here in the space, um, just barely over a year from right now. But uh, I did commit and sign on um, to Evermore as the as chief creative uh, just a couple of months before that time. So wrapping up uh, and, and moving away from Southern California, you know, took me a couple of months. But, you know, it's really, really hasn't been that long. As much as this has been, you know, the, the Brett Schneider dream for many years, um, you know, for us, and I'll let Stedman speak for himself, but, you know, for, for me, it, this is still a a new thing. I still feel like I'm a, a transplant. And, and although we have nonstop responsibilities on the project and have opened this park, um, there's still a sense of, of uh, finding the footing in a new market as part of a team that's been dreaming about this for a very long time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, how, how has the, uh, the opening uh, gone, the, the feedback you're getting? Uh, what, what 
uh, surprised you? What went exactly according to plan? <laughs> oh man, where do we even start? There's a lot there. Yeah, we've been we've imagine. been open even with our soft opening. We've been open for just barely over three weeks. Am I getting that timing right? Yeah, that's it's kind right. of blending together right now. Still in the throes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, for for me, you know, there's a lot about this park that is theatrical. You know, we uh, my my son, who's part of the the cast as a as a goblin, actually. Um, before who wouldn't want a goblin for a he, son? Yeah. <laughs> be, before we before we even moved up here, and I was telling him about this this new thing that I was going to be, you know, leaving Disney and going to go do in Utah. And I was explaining it to him. Uh, he coined the phrase, you know, uh, living theater in terms of the experience. And that's exactly, you know, what we've carried out through this is, you know, living theater. So the reason I, I bring that up is, you know, we, we approach this with a level of story and scripting and things that we intend. And uh, much like with anything in the themed entertainment space, uh, you know, when you hand it over to your guests, to your audience, um, you know, if you're being a good uh, steward to them, you are watching and listening. And I will say from our very first soft opening date, um, we learned things on night one that mm. have now become a standard in what we're doing that we never even discussed. Um, one of those is a a large figure called the Fey King, and he's the big baddie. And um, the way that the park is intended in its full build out is, you know, he's discoverable back in the the deep forests, and uh, and you know, there's creepy creatures around him. And um, just due to the nature of the the progress of the park build out, you know, his his stage portion uh, has not come to completion yet. And so we placed him at the front of the park purely as an iconic piece. And uh, uh, he's puppeted and he's just meant to be mean and growling. But um, on that first night, the, the puppeteer inside, you know, started having more verbal interactions mm. with our guests. And before you know it, little kids that we thought would be terrified of this great big creature with huge horns little kids were coming up and asking questions and where did you come from and where do you live and what do you eat? And like, you're supposed to be scared of this thing. We always planned for him to be <laughs> scary, He's right? He's become kind of a mascot. And now yeah. he genuinely is this mascot in the park. He's part of the questing adventure system in the park. You have to go and talk to him and he gives you a, a title. It's usually a little insulting and people giggle and laugh over. And now people want t-shirts and all these things. We yeah, never, ever, ever thought that the no. fake king was going to be this this character that people, you know, were gravitating towards. And that only came from getting live, living, you know, guests coming into the park and telling us what they want. Um, that's that's one example. We have a lot that have happened like that in just these last three weeks. We had, so in park last night, uh, the park was packed, um, which is always awesome to see, uh, especially from Shipley and I's perspective, we're... We've worked in this industry for a long time. We've worked in on the operations side, you know. So to see it in a capacity side is just so inspiring. But then to also see people circling the faking, we had probably at one point seventy-five people around him last night, laughing, chanting, <laughs> and he was never meant to be. That. And it was never yeah. intended. It's organic. The whole thing is kind of happening in a very organic process in that we've yeah. adapted. That's the thing about theater. I just got to say this yeah. is that um, good theater molds changes for the audience, right? Mm. Um, yeah. There's there's a part of it where it adapts 
to meet audience expectation. Well, That's especially what when we're the is. especially when we're the writers. Yeah. You know, we're not beholden <laughs> to, you know, the existing script or, or, uh, or playwrights IP. that are out there. Yeah, or an IP or based IP. system. Exactly. Be- yeah. People so, are letting us create it on the fly. The other thing is, too, and from the set design perspective, we built and installed scenery that is tangible. Uh, guests can touch it. Um, mm. There's not a barrier. There's not a rope drop. There's nothing like that. You walk through set pieces that immerse the guests. That was um, just my two cents on telling the story from ship's perspective too on the acting side and the performance side and all of that each set piece has got to represent a character and it's got to tell that story of the characterization as best as as it can and it's also an actor right so how do you immerse guests well you tell the story with scenery you do it as best Mm. as you can and you throw people in that environment i think we've adapted scenery as fast as we do this stuff fast We get 24 hours to make a decision and then we do it. We install it and it's that fast and we do it as best as we can make it look like Hollywood, Disney style, Universal style scenery. Well, I mean, (laughs) I feel like we got to rewind a little bit um, to really understand Evermore. I almost feel like uh, it it might be helpful to explain it in contrast to uh, kind of the standard theme park typology that, you know, we're all familiar with. Both of you guys have spent time at Disney Imagineering. Did you guys uh, uh, know each other, collaborate on projects uh, together there? Can I answer this? Yeah, you should. Ship and I met some, what, 18 years ago or so? Yeah, Going to (laughs) Comic-Con, we had mutual friends, and Ship and I kind of bonded on the theater side. When I got hired at Disney... And our love for, like... Geek stuff. Geek stuff. I mean, Disney stuff. I mean, there's this Rocketeer, you know, oh, thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we just oh, really yeah. latched onto and, <laughs> yeah, and became immediate friends. Yeah. I did a Rocketeer submission to a Disney contest for students years ago. And Ship, I, I gave Ship my portfolio on that submission. And he still has it. I do. He still have it, right? Yep, I do. Looks like an old <laughs> comic book, you know. I had it blessed by Dave Stevens before he passed, so I, I felt pretty uh, like this thing was legit, right? Um, I went to grad school, got my master's degree in, in scenic design for theater, studied under some real strong talents. Disney finally hired me in when I was 36, when I was hired by Disney to work on Castle. And I, kept, I would go into Ship's office and sit. He had this fancy office at WDI with a couch and everything. And I'd sit there and we'd talk about fancy. all things. <laughs> I, did, I just had toys all over my office. Yeah, it wasn't fancy. That's what I mean. That's fancy to me, right? I love toys and statues. Yeah. And stuff. So anyway, we'd go and hang out and um, shoot shoot things, you know, on, on on ideas and concepts. And it's because of Shipley well, that I'm here, really. But, but I mean, here. on that WDI side, I mean, you ask about, you know, did we collaborate? At WDI, no. We were never actually on a, a direct project with one another. I mean, we both worked on Shanghai. But we were not on uh, project teams together, and we were right. never we were never part of any collaborative process officially. You know, in the in the halls, we would just uh, meet as friends and and discuss you know our commonalities and and what we were working on. Yep, that's how it's that how, that's how it worked for us, right? As yeah. far as Shipley brought me here to Evermore, yeah, because I had met Ken when I worked on Walkthrough Castle Walkthrough and the story of a castle Shanghai China and. We initially wanted to do something very much like Evermore that was walk-through scenery. Um, and castle walkthroughs aren't walk-through scenery. Yes, they're scenic, they're beautiful, but no one had done anything where it was an immersive set piece. So um, 
I had met with Ken. He showed me the void. I was blown away when I saw it on his stage at this facility that we're in actually right now, years ago. And it was right when I got home from China. And I went, this, this is what we intended to do. So I stayed in contact. Then when Ship announced he was coming here, I was like, oh, Ship, dude, we got we to gotta hang out, man. Because... <laughs> Because it was so similar, and we both are cut from the same cloth as far as tastes yeah. and, and what we like, that it just made sense, you know? Mm. Yeah. And Chip, how long have you been uh, part of the industry? How'd you get in? And uh, is it mostly uh, tenured through at Disney there? Or? Yeah, well, for the most part. Um, my my basic upbringing histories are uh, family owned and operated a stage theater in Upland and Ontario, California. So I grew up with my mom and dad, you know, directing and producing um, live theater. And uh, for me, that was my that was my background. It's it's everything that I knew. It's where all my my social my friends existed from. Um, probably wasn't until high school that I realized that wasn't a very normal upbringing. Um, I, just because I, for me, it was day in and day out. It was what I knew, and I always thought, you know. You know, sort of like the 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 old-fashioned trade business that you know when you get old enough you you do what your dad did and and I thought oh, someday <laughs> I'm going to grow up and be the director and run a theater and all that kind of stuff, and then, uh, um, it, you know, midway through high school it was, uh, you know, hey we're selling the 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 theater off after, uh, well the family had been in it for a total of 23 years at that point. And uh, and for me, I'm just sitting there going, well, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to grow up and like run the theater or something because I'm young and naive. But I also, being in Southern California, you know, had a deep, deep, deep love for um, Disneyland and Walt Disney, and uh, you know, and so it also in my mind was the idea that you know someday I'm I could I could work for Disney as well, and uh, eventually that is what happened. Uh, just on that side, you know, Stedman referenced the ops background. For me, my entry into the Walt Disney Company was uh, being a tour guide and gangster on the Great Movie Ride in Florida. <laughs> and uh, that was, I mean, that was just, that was heavenly for me. That was fun. It was, it was, it was Disney, it was theme park, it was Florida, which was a different place for me growing up in California. So, um, and then it was performance. You know, when I got out yeah. there, and they said, uh, where do you want to work? And I said, I want to work at the Great Movie Ride. And I kind of got that, yeah, that's what everybody says. You know, sort of like, I want to do Jungle <laughs> Cruise, right? Um, but then they sent me through the audition process with management. And and I was able to do Movie Ride and got trained as a gangster and had fun doing that. Um, went seasonal with that for a few years. And then in uh, 96, actually it was a little bit before then, let me back up, a little bit before then, uh, my oldest brother is a scenic artist and figure finisher, and he had already been brought on at Imagineering um, to do uh, work for Animal Kingdom. And uh, actually, a little bit before then, he was working on the uh, um, Indiana Jones adventure for Disneyland, doing the scenic stuff for the ride vehicles and stuff like that. And uh, uh, he gives me a call because he knows that I wanted to find a... a a bigger spot within the company and he gives me a call and says we need some scenic help for animal kingdom if you want to jump on board and and i'm like yeah i would love to uh but i don't know if that's really where my talents lend themselves and he said he said it's no different than painting the sets at the theater you know with with our theater growing up 
And it's, when he said it like that, I went, oh, you know what? I, I do understand that. I do know what you're saying. Because I mean, for yeah. me, I'm looking at the, the grandeur of a Disney theme park, and he's bringing yeah. it back to the level of, you know, we've done this our whole lives. Yeah. You know, I just need you to come in and help me do some of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, good point. Um, went in thinking this could be for a day or a week. You always want it to be longer than that. But then uh, you, you, you know, with tenacity, you find out where your skills lend themselves and uh, ended up being at Walt Disney Imagineering wearing many, many different hats for a total of 21 years before uh, stepping out and coming to Evermore. So... Wow, it's a big step, and it's uh, an exciting step too. Yeah, I mean, I mean obviously so much, there's a lot of stuff uh, in between that, but that. that's you know that's for another time. <laughs> well, I've got to ask again the high level. Uh, you know, going from a project like a Shanghai Disneyland uh, to the scale, to the speed, to the uh, you know the just the lack of layers um, of of an Evermore working for an individual uh, entrepreneur or visionary like Ken. How do you even begin to compare contrast uh, the differences uh, between those two paradigms? I think we both have answers for that one, right? Yeah, um, yeah um, definitely. First of all, I will say that working on a on a, a large scale project like Shanghai, there's so many me- moving pieces and so many people. I mean, it takes a city to build a, a city, right? Let's yeah. just be honest. Shanghai Disneyland's huge, and the fact that they opened it. They opened a park all at once, not in phases, in its full grandeur, to me is always epic, right? That, that anyone can do that. Um, so there's so many people on a project like that. Going to something that's a lot more organic, and it's homegrown. <laughs> homegrown. Yeah. It is Ken and a very intimate, small team of very talented people that sit in a room, make decisions on a Tuesday. We're building and making them on Wednesday. And yeah. I got to tell you, uh, I love it. I I just dig it because working in TV, working in, um, I have backgrounds in television and backgrounds in, I mean, like Ship Story. I, I also worked in the parks. I, I worked in the parks to understand operations so I could be a better designer. Mm-hmm. That's why I did it. And I think, I think, um, Ship. That's a common theme with uh, some of the designers we've had yeah. on, on the show. You yeah, got to understand so. guest flow, guest perspective, what it's like to wear the guest shoes. Why do you tell a story visually a certain way? It's so important. And um, But going back and pulling on, pulling on that experience and drawing on that experience, I would say that uh, Ship and I um, and the team, we make decisions based on what tells a really great story. Um, but also tells a great story from the guest side. Um, what is cool? What do you want to experience? What do we want to experience as fanboys? Yeah. And I, I'm not afraid to admit that's what we are because... No, yeah, I'm proud of it. I'm proud I wear it like a purple heart because you know what? There's a lot of people who who mock it. It's not mockable because the best directors in film are fanboys. Yeah. The best... Yeah. Comic book writers are fanboys at heart. They're yeah. people that love the craft. Yeah. How else can you create for an audience if you don't love it? Yeah, if you don't like it and you talk down about it. So I would say there's some of that in the industry. And I will speak for both Ship and I. Part of being in Utah is getting away from some of that and just doing it because you love it. Mm. And because there's no one telling you no. <laughs> I would say we pitched an idea to Ken and Ken goes, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And he goes, let's do it. 
and we just do and it. We, and then we do it. It's yeah. freaking awesome, right? There's no one going, oh, no, we can't do that. You don't know, la, la, la. You know, you're a company man or whatever it is. It's we do it because it works and because the audience is going to dig it, right? Yes. So tell me how, tell me about, you say, you know, one day you're talking about it and the next day you're building it. I mean, is the, is the shop, the scenic shop right on, uh, yeah. on property? Yeah, I no, mean, that's, you guys that's, just step out of the conference room and go into the. Actually, yes. The, I mean, right now we are in the, the creative studio, the shop area. Um, the park is about a five minute drive from here. So it's pretty mm-hmm. close. Um, I had somebody, uh, uh, who came through here several months back. They turned to me and they said, uh, they said, uh, hey, Josh, uh, it kind of looks like you're trying to recreate um, old wed. And I smiled and I said, that is such a massive compliment. That's huge. I mean, really, that is a huge compliment because the shop is here and so much of what we are doing really is at our fingertips. I mean, you know, it's not just like, hey, let's track down the sources to try and figure that out. I mean, yes, there is some of that um, along the way, but... But I mean, we're talking with our, our creatures and our and our set builds and all that. It's like, you know what? It's us. It's, yeah. it, we're doing it. And I just love the fact that, that really that resonates with me. We've we've gone with that same. We've heard that same compliment. We've got had that same strategy of trying to create that old school wedway. Um, you know, we've got our blue sky loft overlooking the scenic shop. But uh, to have the actual park you're working on, not just an hour down the five, like when right, had, down the road, literally yeah. five minutes away, I, that that does seem like yeah, a creative and, dream. And there are several true. times where the two of us, and, and not just the two of us, I mean, you know, we are a, a, a small team and we are a family, but where we can say, well, hold on, what about that in the mausoleum? Let's just go over and take a look. Yeah, we you know, walk right? through the space. So we'll go right. over there and be able to say this or that. I mean, we, uh, there was a meeting just earlier this week where I was asked on. I was asked just to make a decision. I don't even remember what the topic was, but it, but it was, uh, you know, what do you think we should do? And I had to say to Ken, I said, I would rather stand in the park and make the decision based on where the sunlight is falling. I don't want to just say it here. I want to stand there and look at it and say, that's where it should be. Right. So, yeah. Once again, uh, it, tremendous. It, the, the, the fact that we can, well, here's another thing and on another side note. Ken, Ship, and I all felt that it was pretty empowering to only use Utah-based vendors. So if you think about that, foam, um, finishing, um, all the things that go into making really great um, design and set design work, that's a lot of work. Mel, I know you own your own studio. You run your own studio down there and all that. You know what goes into that type of work. It's it's massive. And if you're going to do it locally, and especially in a place in Utah where theme parks don't exist, um, you know, there's an old amusement park here that's been here forever, but they don't have that level of what we're talking about. So we're doing it in-house. We're using local vendors. We're using vendors and artisans that provide uh, craftsmanship here in the state and around the area in which we're building this park. But there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, local pride in that too, you know, which, yeah. which helps from, you know, really a, a publicity standpoint as well because of how many people here can say, hey, I had my hands involved with building Evermore. Well, and, it's pride, Or yeah. my uncle was over there doing this or that. I mean, we hear that a lot now that we are open because people are so, 
happy to have this here and, and to have been a part of it. When we get a lot of contacts, I get a lot of contacts on LinkedIn and stuff asking if we're hiring out and we're going to need a vendor from somewhere else. And I, a lot from overseas. Yeah, all overseas. <laughs> and I'm very politely, I right. said, no, we got it all taken care of. We're doing it locally. If you get a chance, come see it. We'll show you what the locals are doing right now. And I think that's you know, you look at the history of like Anaheim, Disneyland, there was local vendors, it was local people. It was an old farm, it was farmland, yeah. you know? Yeah, very similar. It's very similar <laughs> to this. So, you know, why reinvent the wheel? It was done right the first time. Let's just do it again. Mm. Uh, that's cool. Right? Well, it does give you a reason to travel to a place when, you know, whether, you know, whether you're going to Bali or somewhere, you know, to actually get kind of um the the sense of the the soil specific context the spirit of the place through the very the, true. the artisans and the true. artists that are specifically uh in that context even though you know there's a, a bigger vision a bigger story at play well when i first was looking at uh when I first started seeing Evermore on social media, I went to Google Maps to see where this place was, <laughs> and all there was was that an no, empty no. farm. And I zoomed in, kept zooming in, like, wait, there, there's no park here. It's, it's dirt. Uh, it, no even hint of it. And then it showed that it was a, oh, wait, wait, this is a local pumpkin patch. People come out here to get their pumpkins. And it started to click to me how something like this would grow. Yeah. Um, was that originally their uh, Ken's pumpkin patch, or, or no? That's uh, actually. I mean, I just love the idea that the the locals used to come there for their holiday fun, but now they no, they know the place. A, there's a farm right next door to us, and right now they Still have there. their they have their hay rides through the cornfields that are taking place right Still behind there. us, right behind our park. Yeah, it's kind of awesome because it because it is so homespun, you know. But, uh, but the other thing is, I was going to say is, Ship and I spent a lot of time. In park, I probably spend more time in the park walking around, even when I'm, okay, this kind of shows you where my loyalty lies, right? Yeah. Uh, even when I have a night off, I'm in the park observing. I want to see how people are handling and taking oh, man. in. It's very important. What yeah. we're doing. And um, uh, our hearts are there. We're building this thing. It's our park. I feel ownership yeah. in what we're done because my art is in this park. My team's work is there. It's ours. Yeah. And Ken wanted us to feel that way. I think mean, it was very part of uh, how do you make it good, right? You make it lovable because we love it, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I do want to start kind of um, moving towards helping the listeners kind of just get their arms wrapped around what this is. But I've got to kind of rewind to just blow up my understanding of how, how parks get done. Um, you know, where you start with uh, a feasibility, a market analysis feasibility, you kind of locate it in a strategic uh, market that is underserved. Uh, then you you go through the, you know, the industrial engineering and the throughput analysis that gives you your design day and your sizing and, um, you know, your, your attendance requirements, your throughput, your traction mix, uh, your mash playing layout, you know, you get the story um, and then you execute. But how I, I know for a fact, I have a feeling <laughs> that that standard offering procedure, if you will, um, isn't exactly uh, the way that Evermore happened in Utah. Can you tell me about how you've uh, you've kind of uh, gone off the the typical Gantt chart of uh, theme park development 101? I don't even know. I know. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> you were well, never let, on the chart I, to begin with. Or no, well, kind of. Let, let me. I mean, this is purely just a setup, and then we can go deeper. But um, 
the first time I had heard about Evermore was uh, when they had done their Pumpkin Fest in that same plot of land four years ago, 2014. And there was an announcement about building this this fantasy park in Utah. And that just, uh, you know, piqued my interest purely as a, you know, I believe that the market here is strong. It's very family driven. And uh, can, you, can I ask you just a dumb question? Like, why is it even in Utah? Uh, just- well, that is not a dumb question. That's a, that's a great <laughs> question. It's in Utah because uh, the, the, the CEO and visionary is in Utah. This is... This is home for he and his family, and this is where Roots. he wanted yeah, to build right. it. Yeah. Um, so that that's just that quick answer on that one. But uh, sure. but you know, back to them building out these these Halloween events, and even though Evermore isn't Halloween specific year round, um, that's what got them interested in doing uh, themed entertainment and storytelling. Was just doing you know home haunts, but in 2014 they did one out in the, in that field, the plot of land, and announced that they were going to do this bigger park build out. Well, that uh, that went on hold for a while, and Stedman referenced earlier the fact that the void was birthed out of uh, Evermore, which is accurate. The, that technology as a walking VR experience was intended to be part of the Evermore Park, and then became such a big thing all on its own um, that Evermore Park got put on hold so that the void could be developed as a, as a standalone business, and then you know became its own thing. But uh, in the process of being on hold, what had happened was um, uh, Ken and his team started to do market studies about Utah in general. And the original uh, park that they wanted to build, which we have a model of here in the, in the shop and had been and shown online quite a bit, actually, um, what they started to realize through market study was that uh, that size was probably a bit aggressive for this market. It's not that uh, there was a, a lack of desire for that. It was, hey, if we're going to, sus- to sustain a park on a year-round basis, um, you know, what are the costs involved with that? And so they started to do real studies, and uh, and what they came back with, you know, was you know, build it more in this type of a footprint size. And right now, what we have built is almost 11 acres, and uh, and at that point, you you could probably drive your market and have a, a, a full park, um, you know, most of the time, which is an ideal situation for a business to be able to operate. Um, so not, you know, for, for that team, because neither of us were on board at that point, but for that team to be able to analyze the market and make those decisions, I thought uh, when I had heard that, I thought that was actually a very mature decision um, because the dream to build something that big is like, but we want it all. And you might set yourself up for that kind of failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead it was, hey, but if we do this, this market will just, you know, love it and we'll be able to eat it up and you'll be able to sustain it. And like, that is a really mature decision to be able to make. So, yeah, the, critical mass. The other right part of right that, spot. the other part of that too, just piggybacking off of ship's comment is there are families in utah families yeah mm-hmm. it's a family state in other words yeah. the culture already provides the ratio that you would need for a park right yeah yeah uh it, when we were on china and i was talking with doris and doris would talk about her my producer would talk about the ratio it was it was mom and dad one child and grandma and grandpa always that was always the ratio well this is like Six kids, <laughs> mom and dad, right? Aunts, uncles, cousins. This is a huge family huge. state. Huge. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do something like this well, here? <laughs> and, and I mean, 
I, I'm probably okay to talk about this. I've talked about it a few times, but you know, back in uh, late '90s uh, at Imagineering, you know, we had a, a um, an open forum pitch program like a Gong Show, and uh, I'd always been, you know, deeply in love with Mineral King and Independence Lake from the um, Imagineering stand. Point. Yeah, and uh, I thought, you know what? What if we built that kind of thing in the state of Utah for the reasons that Stedman just noted? It's a family market. Uh, there's an international airport. The Olympics were being brought in, which so all the roads were being widened up to be able to handle larger uh, traffic flow. There's uh, the the level of annual pass holders in the state of Utah to this day is uh, I you know only second to California, I believe. Um, for Disneyland, and uh, wow. there's just this whole idea that this market is starving for that, and so I thought, hey, Mineral King, Independence Lake, and uh, so I went over to the archives at the studio, and Dave Smith pulled every piece of documentation for me on the project. Then I uh, then I sat and talked with John Hench actually for a really long time, and he filled me in on everything and basically said, you know, good luck. Um, <laughs> you know, we we had a hard time getting it done then, so I, I wish <laughs> you luck. And then I asked I asked Hench, I said. Uh, said, hey, so from what I understand, you know, the, the reason why those two projects never really happened, you know, I'm just trying to equip myself before going into the room, right? Is it, uh, it was because of, you know, things like the Sierra Club and, and all that kind of thing, not really wanting uh, Disney to go in and affect the landscape. And Hench said, he goes, no, the only reason we didn't build those things was because Walt died. And I said, really? It's that easy? And he said, yeah, if Walt would have lived, you would be going to those places right now. He said, when he wanted something and he dreamed it and he knew it, what it was, you did it. Yeah. He said, he said there's there's convenience of story, you know, throughout the years. He goes, but his, you know, when you have a Walt behind something, he goes, he goes, we just didn't have a champion anymore. And I went, wow, all right, I'm going to go in there. So I go in and I'm like, we're going to build this great, awesome thing in Utah. And, and I kind of got laughed out of the room. Um, But the reason I bring that up is because I believed in this market here, and I was trying to get the big guns to come to the market. So when I heard that in 2014 there was this guy that was going to be building a park for this market, I wasn't thinking, hey, how can I get involved? I was thinking, wow, somebody's going to do it, and they're going to win. They've got a captive audience who's starving and uh, I, built in. I had no idea that in 2017 I would be having a conversation with the guy and getting an offer and then talking to my family about, you know, coming to Utah to help build this new thing. And I'm glad I did. Just you were being set up at that time. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many of these pieces throughout the years that have fallen into place that, you know, are, are you know, serendipity to make this happen. And people love the family entertainment stuff, you know, and Sundance Film Festival is here, Park City's right around the corner from where we're at. Yeah. It's, it makes it uh, valuable in my book. It's, yep. it's, vi- it's here, right? We're doing it and yeah. it's working, it's working, so. Hold up there, Skip. We'll be back with the rest of our interview in just a moment. But first, these words. Did you know that one in every three websites is built on WordPress? WordPress sites are super versatile. In fact, if your website is not on WordPress, you're losing out. You need the WordPress experts at My Studio Space LLC to help you out. 
Their friendly staff can build your new website, give your old site a facelift, or they can help you make those stubborn little changes that you simply don't have time for. My Studio Space will help you claim your domain, your custom email, and set up your entire site. Visit them on the web at mystudiospace.com or call 407-701-7577 to get started. And here's an outrageous special offer for you, our podcast listeners. Switch your hosting from GoDaddy to My Studio Space, and they'll pay you $100 cash. Just mention themed attraction when you call to redeem your offer. That's mystudiospace.com. Well, and I mean the the scope and the scale of the park and the the strategy of opening it in phases. Um, can you talk to that? I mean, what's what is the uh, annual attendance first year that it was built for, and, and what scale of uh, kind of capital reinvestment or or uh, growth uh, are you trying? Like, when's the park quote? <laughs> built out or is that you know what i mean you just asked the gap between phase one versus opening you, phase you just or asked master plan. like money questions That's to a, a couple of creatives <laughs> yeah we're like oh just let us know if we can build it <laughs> yeah when, when can we get started we call finance i call fan, finance i go i need to buy all our christmas decorations today i'm not making this up and he's like okay well let me look we'll do okay <laughs> so um I, I will answer some of this and i'm gonna have ship yeah. answer some of it um we are opening in phases because this is it. We're building a park based on Ken's wealth. That's what we're doing. And that's not a mystery. It shouldn't be a mystery anywhere. No. So it's and and what investments Ken wants to get. Um, Ken wants ownership on this. This is his dream. So he didn't want to sell out. Right. Let's just say that um, that should set a little bit of some kind of an idea of how we're doing this. So um it's his project. He wants, they took about a Walt, right? And a, and a champion of a project. Um, you know, so referencing that, we're, we have opened phase one, which um, there's, how many troughs do we have in the park that are train tunnels? We have three train tunnels, right? I want to make sure I'm saying this right. I'm not looking at our map, but we have, no, we have two major train tunnels where the steam train will cross right. them. We've opened up to the second train tunnel, which means we have one quarter left of the park that we're still building. It's being built as we speak. Mm -hmm. um, with more things coming online, um, with that being said, um, people are loving what we've already opened so they're enjoying it immensely. We have one, let me count off the top of my head, one, two, three, four, five, six set set pieces, meaning they're walk-through experience buildings that you either walk around or you walk through that are already open mm -hmm. um, that help tell our story. So um, they're completely set out. They're beautiful, fully produced uh, with beautiful handcrafted lighting. Some of them have, I mean, Ship and I have spent a lot of time um, sourcing artisans and people who can make things that help tell the story of each building and the characters that live there, right? So um, Ken and Krista uh, Sapp, they went to Europe and they sourced 14 shipping containers of authentic antiques from different periods of Europe. 14 sea containers, are yeah, you serious? Yeah, 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 of um, antiques, building facade wow. work, castings, headstones um, to help install our park. So 
those items we have delicately handled and I've worked with Mill Creek constructors and Mill Creek builders, which is a great partner at the park and they're building the park. Um, and John Underwood, who's heading that up, he has a very fine attention to detail and making sure that things look fantastic. And he's built big, beautiful homes and he's been building all our spaces. And so he cares. We give him a piece of something from Europe, we incorporate it, and then my team does the incorporation. So I don't mean to segue too bad off your off your question. I'm, I yeah. apologize. But um, what we've opened um, tells a really good portion of our story for Lore, our first season. We have Christmas around the corner called Aurora. We are going to be opening more of the park. The fact that we're, we've opened phase one, there's a phase two. Um, meaning the other portion, and then there's like a 2.5, right? Phase (laughs) 2.5, which is a whole nother build-out, which is going to be amazing too. Um, I don't know how to answer it. I think I'm rambling. No, no. I'm visually describing what we've done, You you are, but you said it at the beginning. I mean, the reason for the the structure now and the phasing process really is – you know, financial. I mean, Ken has has put in far more than what he expected, and um, it's not. Uh, it, it has not been easy because he is just a guy, right? He he uh, had success um, developing the, the company Digicert in years past, and then eventually the the void became, you know, a, a key factor in in success as well. And uh, and he, everything that he has accomplished and earned with he and his family is in the dirt right now in Pleasant Grove. I mean, if if this were to fail, it would it would be a complete you know fail for the Brett Snyder family. So this phase one, this what this opening that we have had is every dime that he owns, mm-hmm. and it's there and it's showing, and which is why he doesn't mind talking about it because he's like, hey guys, please come because if you don't, I'm dead. Um, <laughs> and uh, but with that in mind, there is so much in the creative uh, r- realm, um, you know, because we, we need to get into the, the revenue and to be able to, to put it back into the park. And that is the intent is to have this continue to, con- uh, you know, perpetually in, in reinvest and, and, and grow the park. And right now we have about 24 months of expansion that is planned, yeah. that is actively planned. And then we have probably another good year to a year and a half of what if wouldn't it be cool beyond that but we'll have to see you know how this continues to mature uh, in that way because like we say things can change quite quickly mm-hmm. but in terms of the the intent of what can be here um, there's that and then there's also been active conversations about ever more existing in other markets we knew that we had to get this one right we had to get it open. We had to know what we were doing. But there have been many conversations about other markets where Evermore could exist. And then um, to, to, to put something on top of that, I mean, I, I won't go into details, but we have another uh, entertainment venue that is in the same complex of space that is not Evermore. It's a completely separate business entity that we haven't even made massive public announcements on and will probably be revealed in barely over a month from now. Mm -hmm. I know that seems pretty quick to have something not talked about, but what we're doing with that, and and I hesitate right now because I I don't want to say anything until we've made any actual public announcements, but with that, um, you know, you think we're doing everything ever more in fantasy and it's like, well, actually we're, we're doing something else also, and you're going to be blown away by that as well. And that has the ability 
to launch domestically in a huge way. And we've already had some um, um, business investors express uh, desire for us to consider international markets for this other. I know I'm, I, I apologize for having to be so vague about that. No, 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 this you're, conversation. You're, you're, you're I'm increasing just, my curiosity. I'm, I'm just giving you an idea of how, how this, you know, this Ken Brett Schneider, uh, you know, world exists here. I mean, we are, we are so actively being creative and, and pursuing and building, but we are doing it down to the last dime, nickel and penny. And then we're sitting there going, uh, where can we go? I'm going to go check my ashtray and my car and see if I've got an extra change because we need to get the mausoleum up and go. I mean, we, so we are truly being like the, the scrappies of scrappy. We have to be. And, and uh, I will say passion passion really carries really far. I mean, you're talking to two guys here who have a lot of passion. Ken's got a lot of passion. We have a team that has a lot of passion. Um, I was in an environment many years ago where a senior level uh, individual in a meeting said, check your passion at the door. And I found that to be so offensive <laughs> because the reason why this, this scrappy little project is happening and people are having fun and, and, and enjoying themselves every night is because uh, passion is what got it across the finish line and continues to, at least for the next 24, 36 months. <laughs> you, well, yeah. talk about John Hench. Yeah. Okay, you brought up John Hench, yeah. right? You think those guys weren't passionate when they built that park? Yeah. I correct you. No, you're right. Right? They had to be because everyone that built and designed that were old set designers that Walt picked up or they were animators. Yeah, and there were people who cared about their product and they cared about every line they put down. So why is it so bad to idolize that? Yeah, right? well, no, Hench says it in his book because we used it for a training program at one point. Um, you know, Walt would encourage them and say, get down there, go to the park, you know, walk in those guest shoes. Don't see park, Don't park behind the, the scenes, you know, go back there and see what people are doing because if you don't, how can you... How can, how you, can you breathe it? How you yeah. how you how can you preach what you're saying and what you say you should do when it's just about the money? Because that's that's ludicrous and quite honestly, it's insulting for those who care, yeah. right? I find it insulting because we wanna build and do things that we wanna participate, we wanna see it, we wanna see it work. And and I kind of feel the sniper dot on me still when All I start talking time. about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Someone from, from uh, office headquarters in Glendale is going to show up with a sniper gun, you know, which yeah. I'm yeah. careful what we say. <laughs> you know, part of us being in Utah, I would say, too, on, on representing Bullship and I is to escape some of that. It was to come back to our roots and, and come back to a place where we could do this without being micromanaged and do it with Ken, who loves it anyway. And that's, I think that's the other part well, and, of that. And, and, and kind of like what I was saying, you know, Ken, who's willing to risk it all. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, um, when I was making the, the hard decision about leaving and coming up here to join this, you know, there was a lot, you know, trying to weigh the, the pros and cons, back and forth, back and forth. And one of the things uh, that, that helped me in that process was I was listening to one of Lee Cockrell's uh, podcasts, mm. and he was referring uh, risk-taking. And, you know, if you're the type of person who's just content, you know, being in your in your normal thing, yeah. then, you know, there's no reason to take a risk. But if you want to change the world, you know, you're going to have to put it all on the line. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that was what I took away from it. And I'm listening to that going, you know what? You're right. If I want to go change the world, meaning themed entertainment in this instant, I'm going 
I'm going to have to put something at risk here. And I felt yeah. like Ken was putting more at risk than any of us could ever do. Well, so I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'll follow that guy because he's he's really doing it. And I think his core team of us were all risk takers. I mean, how um, you don't create new things and invent new things by being passive and being safe and letting others mm. fail in front of you. I can't stand that. It's like a huge thing for me. I've watched and experienced it firsthand. Uh, people I care about who let others fail first so that they can piggyback off that success and, and do it and just copy it, right? I mean, come on, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. to quote, uh, to kind of also say the same thing, Ship, um, uh, Steve Jobs, right? When he was recruiting his new VP or whatever, I can't remember the guy's name, so forgive me, but he said, you wanna keep making sugar water because he was president of PepsiCo or Coke, Cola or something. Keep making sugar water, you come with me and change the world. And I think yeah. change the world was something we both love. Change we, the world. Yeah. Why not do something awesome? And it's a legacy, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a legacy for for the area. It's going to be a legacy. I, I hope in uh, a lot of the uh, destinations that we we start to see this, uh, see how you guys influence yeah. uh, other destinations. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, kind of with that in mind. I mean, because we, you know, yourselves included. I mean, we've all helped facilitate that in the themed entertainment market and there's a lot of that that is that is currently existing or coming online for the big players in terms of you know an immersive environment and that kind of thing um this is a, an area that i think people are enjoying playing in figuring out how to engage with the world around them get their screen their, their faces out of a screen and back into the real world so it's not unique to us but i would i will say one thing that is unique to evermore in that regards is is we built a park from the ground up whose entire purpose is is for that. It's not for an, fun. Yeah, it's not an ad hoc to an existing structure that has to play yeah. by existing rules. It is from the ground up meant for this one purpose. I had two wow. young kids come up to me last night in the park. I was with Ken wandering around. And first of all, uh, first part of this is I had watched and observed young adults Millennials and teenagers and college kids. We're in a college town. There's two universities right near, nearby, and they're big universities. Big, they're big, not big small, right? BYU has upwards of seventy thousand students. UVU has a hundred thousand college kids from all over. You know, so there's all, another market. Yep, Let's talk about that. <laughs> and they're young people, and the workforce, <laughs> right? They're not baby boomers. They're young people that look for the new things, new trends, right? If you want to build something that's going to last. You tap into the market that's coming. You don't tap into the market that's already existed and seen success. And and I'm not saying that because I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm saying that because that's just truth. You don't follow the past generation. You look at the new ones. Well, you learn from right. the past You learn from the past, but you change sure. it. You have to, you have but to you, bend, you, you right? Yeah. So having said all that, these young people were in the park. These kids are glued to devices. Let's just all admit this right now, right? Yep. They wander around stuck to device, communicating to each other, right next to each other on devices. Yeah. I've a seen anti -social it, Anti-social right? media has taught them how to not talk Be to social. each other. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. these kids were media. these yeah. kids were in the park and they're forced to ask questions to actors who then direct them to go somewhere. Okay, it's awesome to watch because there's a there's some uh, timid shyness there, and then there's a serendipitous part where they're like 
they start doing it because they get the game side. They're also yeah. a gaming generation. They all play games, right? Yeah. Digital games. So all of a sudden they're running around on quests, pseudo scavenger hunts that have a storyline to them. And yep. I witness young people running across the bridge and whatnot, going to find the goblin, going to find the hunter, join a guild, uh, and yeah. become a part of something for real. That's physical activity. Yeah. And they were coming up to Ken and thanking him for building this park. Young people. I saw it four times last night. Um, groups of them. This is so cool. This is like Skyrim for real. I that. Why did you do this? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's inspiring. It's, yeah, it's freaking incredible. cool. It's freaking cool to see people get it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, guys, our, our time is up, but uh, I just hope you know that you've got uh, a lot of people rooting for you yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the fan community. Keep, in the keep rooting because it's also hard. Doing, yeah, it's, so, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. We'll, it's hard. It's we'll true. be there. And um, yeah, I just uh, really can't encourage uh, anyone listening in to just get your butt on that uh, Delta airplane and <laughs> get, get out to Salt Lake City. It's a it's a hub. Uh, and uh, experience this, uh, and not just once, really. It's, you definitely need to experience it. Yeah, well, uh, especially since we events. we do different events. Yeah, exactly. Throughout right. the year, that story it's, it's evolves and changes, and, right? Uh, based on when you go. So, and, and for those of you, you coming to that that Salt Lake uh, hub, there, it's only yep. about a 40, 45 minute drive away from the airport. Yep. yep. Just get out of the airport. So thanks so much for uh, taking the time out of a, a, we can't a wait. crazily busy season. Yeah, uh, in your life and in the life of uh, this. Yep. Uh, this uh, yeah, I think I'm going to throw on a costume experience. tonight. Actually, Are you? To go Are you going to go in costume? I'm going to go be a character tonight. Yeah. That's one more thing. Before <laughs> we go, awesome. we encourage everyone to come in appropriate costumes for the park. You it's know, it's not required, period. but boy, do we sure do welcome it. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. Awesome. That's good. We'll do. I'll I'm, pack it. All right. Good. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, right, guys. guys. Thanks, Thank you so much. We will talk to you again soon, and hopefully we'll have you on uh, another time again in the future. In the park. Yeah, oh, yeah. We'll park. do a live yeah, one in the fantastic. park. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks See you then. Oh, my goodness. I wish we had another hour to spend with the two Joshes of Evermore, uh, and definitely we're going to have to – Get together with them at Evermore Park and record a second episode. This is a really fantastic opportunity to hear brand new papas, brand new daddies, uh, telling their story of this uh, baby that was just born. Well, a lot uh, of ways, they're still in delivery, actually. Oh, they <laughs> are still in delivery. many phases to go. So. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. Well, uh, so what did you learn, Mel? You know, it's not every day that an entire new typology of uh, theme park, attraction, what mm-hmm. have you, uh, come along. And I, I think this is really kind of like Disneyland was just a very fascinating uh, synthesis slash evolution of some existing things. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, I see some some really neat elements of, of living theater, like a, yeah. a dinner theater that goes, you know, <laughs> a lot longer and a lot, uh, you know, uh, writ large, I guess, on yeah. a much broader campus, uh, elements of like a Renaissance pleasure fair, uh, elements of, you know, the different seasonal, wonderful seasonal events. Um, from the Chris Kindle Market, I grew up in Germany, to some of the great haunt experiences. Um, the opportunity to take this park and really almost reinvent it with the different seasons and the different yeah, uh, sub-themes and, and festivals they have. Like I said, I, I just, I'm so excited to see uh, these guys just blow up the box and uh, come up with something that is really something that has to be, I think, truly experienced to, to really 
have your arms wrapped around it. But, but yeah, there's so many things about this that I love and, yeah. and uh, I'm just excited for the industry to, to get a, a breath of fresh air that isn't just this big mega billion dollar plus, you know, corporate IP project, but something that truly does um, scratch that itch of creativity and imagination. Yeah, it's fantastic. They're just now heading into, uh, when this episode's released, they're just, uh, well, they're about knee deep in the uh, holiday season uh, with their overlay of Aurora, which is just going to be a beautiful, uh, traditional and and yet surprisingly uh, non-traditional uh, view of the Christmas season uh, that Evermore Park's going to bring back year after year. Uh, we're really looking forward to seeing it. Well, Mel, it's time to return this boat to the dock or I'm going to lose my deposit. Until next time, thanks, folks. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. Leave us a review on iTunes Podcasts and share the show with your friends. Our guests were Chief Creative Officer of Evermore Park, Josh Shipley, and Evermore's Director of Show Design and Production, Josh Stedman. Visit Evermore online at evermore.com and follow this incredible new experience park on the socials at Evermore Park. Connect with Shipley on Twitter and Instagram at Shipleyland and follow Stedman on Instagram at Stedman Styles. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, the world's most comprehensive site on theme park and themed entertainment design. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at skipperfreddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson, other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry is always quite curious about the plant life here in the jungle, so I thought I'd take a minute to point out some of my favorites. There's one. There's one. There's another one. Thanks for listening, folks. There's one. There's one.